0: Uh, open your Bibles again. Let's finish off this first missionary journey that the Apostle Paul took. So, if you turn to Acts chapter 14, page 1109, page 1109, Acts chapter 14. I was looking forward to Malcolm McGregor. Unfortunately, he was not well enough to come preach this weekend. Both Liam and I thought about what would be helpful, and it seems that this first missionary journey provides a pattern, really, uh, against which. Every church should consider what mission is about. Let's just read this, uh, this chapter. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, "'Stand up on your feet.' At that, the man jumped up and began to walk." When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only humans like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up, went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in the city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attalia. From Attalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Gracious Father, please help us to learn principles that should shape us as a church as we study your word now. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I really don't have that much time. But what we've got here is the first ever missionary church weekend in history recorded for us. Right at the end, they're gathering the church and hearing the news of what the mission partners had seen God do in their lives. And uh, I don't have really time to to deal with this passage in any significance, but uh, in significant depth. But I just want to draw out five principles that I think should shape us. They should be a plumb line for us by which we measure our own mission activity as a church. Number one, Spirit directed mission originates from ascending church. Antioch is such a cool church. It was a multicultural, team ministry led, spiritually alive, and sacrificially committed church to the spreading of the gospel. It was multicultural. You see it in the list of names in chapter 13. Uh, Even in the leaders, you've got Barnabas, a Jewish man from Cyprus. Simeon, Hebrew name, but his last name Niger probably means he was a black African. Uh, Could he have been Simon of Cyrene who who carried the cross of Christ? We don't know, maybe. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, definitely from North Africa. Uh, Interesting to hear about North Africa this morning. This guy was from North Africa, maybe one of the founding men of the church. Monean, a man who was a foster brother of Herod Antipas. The son of Herod the Great, and the fifth leader, Saul from Tarsus. So, a multinational church and people from different societal backgrounds, and yet they're all united together in their common faith in Christ, and they're all united together in one church. And it was a team ministry, wasn't it? This was no one man ministry church. Number of teachers and prophets mentioned. They had a complementary ministry together. Uh, some taught the scriptures, others prophesied. And so it seems from verses 1 and 2, it was through such a time as this, through prophetic ministry, that the early church was led to a specific missionary activity. Look at 13 verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. This is a church that was spiritually alive. Uh, they, they, they knew the importance of prayer. They were willing to forego food in order to pray together. They wanted to um, align themselves with what Jesus was doing in the world. And it was as they worshipped together that the Holy Spirit directed them to this next great stage in, in the mission of the church. Uh, the book of Acts is the second volume, two parts. Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke uh, volume 1 is about all that Christ uh, began to do and teach until he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through his Holy Spirit to the apostles is, Paul, is the summary that Luke gives at the beginning of Acts. That's volume 1. Acts volume 2, all that Jesus continued to do from heaven through the apostles uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 has given us the, uh, the, the instructions that Jesus gave to his church. You will be my witnesses. You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And by the time we've got to chapter 13, this is the next great big face. We've seen how the gospel spread from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria. And here's the first really intentional push out into all the nations. Mission springs from a Spirit-directed, sending church. Matt reminded uh, us last night that... The word mission and missionary comes from the Latin word, which just simply means sent, sent out. But let's consider how amazing was their vision, how sacrificially they were committed to the spread of the gospel. Because who did they send out? Arguably, the two best blokes they had in the church. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Who wouldn't want him as the pastor, as one of your key elders? He's even got a nickname he's so encouraging. Mr. Encouragement. You want to hang on to him, wouldn't you? And who's the other guy? Paul, the man with the Damascus story. Always handy for a guest Sunday. Uh, who, what can we do? Hey, Paul, come up, tell him, tell him what happened. Tell him what happened. And yet, this Paul, who was incredible, with his incredible intellect, his deep understanding of the scriptures, with this incredible testimony of how he'd been a like a, a religious zealot uh, and, and, and a persecutor of the church and become a great preacher these are the two that the church was willing to send out, absolutely amazing. Church growth can actually sometimes become a selfish activity. How can we grow? We feel good sitting in a a full building. It's it's more exciting than sitting in a half-filled building. But actually, this church of Antioch encourages us to think about the importance of gospel growth which is wanting to see the gospel go and spread into new areas of influence, even if that means our church doesn't look like it's doing so well because actually uh, we're a smaller number because we keep sending people out. But actually, Antioch had a vision for gospel growth, and they sent out their best guys and after praying and fasting, they lay hands on these two men. As I suppose they're saying, they're commending them, they're recognizing them, uh, they're, they're, they're praying for them, and they're sending them out with a commitment to, to support them financially through prayer. And this church that prayed and sent had the joy at the end of the two years of having them come back and report all that God had done through them as they had sent, gone out on this, on this mission. Second principle, spirit-directed mission reaches out to everyone. Uh, what's the summary? Look at uh, chapter 14:27. On arriving, they gathered the church together. They reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, we take this for granted because largely we're a, uh, a mostly a Gentile congregation. But this was a huge moment. The good news about the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, did not just mean salvation for Israel, but he was also a light for the Gentiles. And his gathered apostles were sent out to be uh, lights uh, to the Gentiles as they proclaimed the good news about this suffering servant. We, we looked at Isaiah last year and we saw that uh, th- this servant who acted wisely, who was highly exalted, yet horribly disfigured, uh, this one He, through his blood sprinkled, many nations will be cleansed, it says. And so that's why this gospel goes out to everyone. And as we we read through this account, we've seen that uh, it it reached Jewish people. It reached God-fearing Gentiles who turned up at the synagogues. It it reached people from high society like Sergius Paulus, who was the... uh, Get the guy in charge at, at in Cyprus. It reached um, humble farmers in far off places uh, like um, uh, Lystra, uh, who are worshippers of Zeus and Hermes. And these become Christians. These become those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Spirit directed mission reaches out to everyone. And this is just such an exciting phase in the history of the church. We're here today because Antioch started the work and sent people out. That's how significant Antioch is to us. They led the way, and here we are in far-off places that they could not even imagine, in freezing places, although yesterday was very nice, wasn't it? We've been reached with the gospel because churches like Antioch have had a, 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 a desire to send out people with the gospel Thirdly, spirit-directed mission involves conflict and hardship. I think that uh, the little summary at the end, that that how God had opened the door of faith to Gentiles, is quite a surprising summary. I wonder what you think it looks like when God is at work. Do you imagine that when God is at work, everything runs smoothly? Everything is great. That's how we know God's at work. Not in these chapters. Uh, There was conflict Uh, with a Jewish sorcerer. In Pisidian Antioch, there was a huge turnout on the next Sunday. And when when the Jewish leaders saw the big crowds, they began to heap abuse on the apostles, which led to persecution and then being thrown out of the region. When they got to Iconium, the apostles brought division in the city, it says. The, the, The preaching of the gospel divided the city. And people plotted to kill them by stoning them. And that means that they had to get out of the city. In Lystra, from one moment, you've, you've got them bringing bulls to back to sacrifice them as if they're gods, and the next moment, they are trying to kill them by stoning them. And in fact, they think they've done the job, and they drag Paul's body out of the city because they think he's dead. And in the middle of all this, there's some sort of disagreement on the missionary team, and John Mark leaves for Jerusalem. He's off-ski. Conflict, difficulty... And they can report, God was marvelously at work opening the door to the Gentiles. This is what it looks like when God is at work. So if we think that engaging in gospel work is going to give us a quiet life, we are kidding ourselves. It's just not that way. In fact, if it's quiet and sleepy, maybe we're not really engaged in the work. Fourthly, how can they say God's at work? Well, because of this fourth point. Spirit-directed mission produces disciples through gospel proclamation. It was because as they went to all these places, they saw people become Christians. And they, that happened because they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the essential aspect of spirit-directed mission. That people preached the good news about Jesus. 13 verse 5, they arrived at Salamis and they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And then Luke records the sort of sermon that he preached in synagogues in Pisidian Antioch. And there's three parts to it. He summarized the history of Israel all the way up to King David. Second part, he points out that Jesus' death and resurrection fulfill all that was promised there. And then thirdly, he called on them to respond. Forgiveness of sins was possible for everyone who put their trust in this Jesus Christ. Uh, Look at uh, 14 verse 1, at Iconium. uh, They entered again into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And what were they speaking? Verse 7, they continued to preach the gospel. Everywhere they're going, what are they doing? They're preaching the gospel. This is the utterly essential part of spirit mission and you get a record of what sort of gospel was preached when they preached to pagans it's a different approach Uh, I'm sure in both they get to Jesus about his life and death and resurrection and, and the importance of responding but instead of starting with the prophets and the history of Israel when they come to the pagans they start with God's role as creator as provider how God had made himself known and shown his kindness by providing plenty of food and filling their hearts with joy, which is a great thing that God does for everybody. Any joy that someone's experienced today is because God has graciously blessed us. And then, no doubt, they got on to telling them the good news about Jesus. Paul, Paul, in his passionate speech, as he's trying to stop them from sacrificing a bull to them as, a, as some sort of gods, he says, Look, no, we, we've come here to save you from this nonsense. We're bringing you good news. They're gospel preachers. They're good news preachers. Now, mission may involve lots of different things, but it will not be less than this. We must not lose faith in the confidence of preaching the gospel. Entertainment will not make disciples. Social action and doing good work will not make disciples if they are disconnected from the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. We must keep keep preaching the gospel because it is the power for the salvation of everyone who believes, both for the Jew and the non-Jew. Fifthly, spirit-directed mission establishes churches built on the apostles' teaching and led by elders. I think what's so striking about this first missionary journey is that Paul and Barnabas don't just simply go somewhere, preach and see conversions and then move on. But actually they made sure that churches were planted wherever they went. And I find this astonishing that in just two years, Paul and Barnabas established a church in four separate cities in Galatia with elders in them. Four places in two years before they returned back to the church that sent them out. Verses 21 to 23 is a great summary of all that they did on this mission trip. Verse 21, gospel preaching. They preached the gospel. This is a description of Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Second thing, they strengthened the disciples. Verse 22, then they returned back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith this phase uh, this phrase the faith is another way of describing the apostolic gospel this deposit the teaching the truth the body of uh, of all that christ has done this knowledge is passed on it's summarized in the apostles creed and paul leaves these churches basically with the old testament scriptures and with the eyewitness testimony of the disciples and he tells them you strengthens them to remain true to this faith And then he tells them we need to hold on to that faith in the face of opposition. And here's gospel realism. Verse 22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. This is no prosperity gospel, is it? Come to Jesus and uh, your life will prosper uh, spiritually and materially. And everything's going to go great if you trust Jesus. No, here's gospel realism. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Desiree was sharing last night that a key part of the, the level one of their orality course is they focus on the reality of persecution. Because to establish young believers in cultures that are so hostile to the Christian faith, they need to understand that this is a key part of discipleship. Verse 23, by appointing recognized Christian leaders, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. For churches to be healthy, it needs spiritual leadership. In the Bible, it's always elders, plural. It's more than one. It's a group of godly men who are able to teach this apostolic faith who are put in charge of these local congregations. And then Paul and Barnabas left these churches on their own, committing them, verse 23, to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And you see, ultimately, this is where our confidence is based for the local church. It's in the faithful God. It's in the Lordship of Christ. This is Christ's church and he can be trusted to keep his people. So uh, very quickly, here is a plumb line that we should measure ourselves up to as a church as we consider our commitment to missions ministry. Spirit-directed mission originates from ascending church, reaches out to everyone, Involves conflict and hardship, produces disciples through gospel proclamation, and establishes churches built on the apostles' teaching and led by elders. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Acts, quotes from uh, Roland Allen's book, Missionary Methods, The Apostle Paul's or Ours. And uh, who he points out in that book, how one of the most striking differences between the Apostle Paul's action and ours is that he founded churches whilst often in the history of missions, we we found missions. And so Roland Allen in his book, it's quite an old book now, was challenging the church to freshly think about this. In a little more than 10 years, Paul established the church in four provinces in the empire, in Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia. So before AD 47, no churches. AD 57, Paul could speak of the fact that his work was almost done there. And so the book of Acts, I think, challenges us to ensure that we are a church who are committed to seeing gospel preaching and church planting with indigenous elders where we can entrust them to the Lord in whom they trust. It was so encouraging last night to hear from Stephen uh, about how Tear Fund is, is renewing their commitment to, as much as they can, to link their different social projects to a local church because they recognize to have a lasting Christian legacy in an area, it has to be tied to the local church. And that's got to be right, hasn't it, from Acts 13 and 14. And as we move forwards with our mission ministry, I am keen to encourage the elders to see that actually gospel proclamation and the planting of churches and the strengthening of churches must be the vital part of what we do in our local mission, our national vision, and in our global vision. We mustn't lose sight of these key apostolic principles. It's exciting that we're seeing uh, people commending them in a few weeks to go to Grace Mountain, see a church planted in Grace Mountain, it's, it's exciting to hear about the potential of gathering a group of people to plant a church out west that will reach uh, in that part of the city. It's exciting to consider in 2020 of a church planted in South Queensferry. It, it will be absolutely thrilling as the years go on if we can find ways of investing with people to see and, and know a direct con- connection between us and churches being planted in, in overseas contexts with indigenous leaders who are reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How exciting to be engaged in this work together. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We sang about it and repeated it four times. Did you notice that? Just in case we didn't get it, lots of repeats in that, we got it. He's risen, right? And that means this, he's still at work in the world. He's changing and transforming lives. And he's using people who allow his Holy Spirit to lead and direct us in his mission. And that's what's so exciting, to be involved in this. The risen Christ is changing lives. He's using people like us. Isn't that incredible? Let's ask for his help now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we wait upon you as you poured out your spirit at Pentecost upon the church. We ask that you would freshly fill us with your spirit, that we would engage in Christ's mission in the world. Lord, for some, it might mean moving to see a new church planted in Edinburgh or in Scotland. Lord, for others, it might mean leading church planting or investing in Christian leaders in, in the global world context. Lord, we long to see more people reached in this city from this location. So please send us out, empowered and emboldened by your spirit to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, through which our sins can be forgiven and that we're made right with you. Thank you for such a salvation. Thank you for such a savior to proclaim. Lord, we freshly commit ourselves to this task. In Christ's name, amen.